Hey, it's Misty and Liz with Talking Shit Sure. We're sisters who don't know shit about literature, but we love to hang out and talk about the books we've read. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Talking Shitature and on Twitter at Talk Shitature. And look for us wherever you listen to podcasts. guys for joining us for another episode of the see you next tuesday podcast i'm jesse i'm amanda and we're officially at episode 30 that's crazy i know i really can't believe it actually <laughs> i just stared at you for no reason i know so. you're Burr. staring at me and i'm like what do you want me to say it's crazy i don't believe it i okay. want my cake you promised me in episode 10 damn it oh god <laughs> just kidding with you, you got like i'm really just kidding you know, I do plan on doing these things, and then it gets away from me, and then I forget that this occasion's coming up. But you know what? Instead of cake, it's the week in podcast time of we celebrate Christmas. Uh, so I have your Christmas gift. Girl, I didn't even think to bring yours. Well, it's because we're recording before Christmas, but this is coming out the week of Christmas. So open it. Please, 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 please open it. You're losing your mind. I'm just going to put it over here. No, open it now. <laughs> because I love giving gifts more than receiving gifts, so you don't even have to buy me anything. Oh, you're going to lose your fucking mind when you see what I bought you, which just gives me an excuse to see you again. So, all right, so I'm throwing stuff on the floor. Throw it on the floor. Throw it on the floor. Throw I don't care. Floor. I don't care if my office is dirty. Throw it on the floor. Okay, first things up is a little box. You're going to lose your mind. Ah! It's David Bowie earrings. Yes. I'm already losing my mind. I'm going to put these on. Etsy for the win. Oh, my God. And they gave me a pen, too. And I love pens. Etsy Cute. Etsy for the win. So Etsy shop Kiss Pop. Yes. We're going we're gonna to promote some kisspopcreations.etsy.com. Super cute. Yeah, these Bowies are great. Oh my god, I can't wait to wear them. Yay! Okay, next up is a picture frame with David Bowie. Yay! Etsy for the win. Oh my god, it says there's a star man waiting in the sky. Oh my god, and it has David Bowie. I'm showing our YouTubers um, in his black, like, it looks like a guitar outfit, we're going to say. Oh my god, did you get me more socks? Are these those socks? Oh! Okay. Warm socks for the win. Because we all know the Texas power grid's gonna fail. <laughs> We're gonna have to live in cold weather. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you, Amanda. So this is something that, the picture came from England, I believe. Oh, do you know the shop? Um, let me grab my phone and I'll tell you. Yeah, because I definitely want to promote the shop because I will talk about these socks while you're doing that though. The socks that I'm talking about is, okay, so Amanda, last year, year before last, last year, no, year before last, year. got myself and one of our other friends these amazing socks. And what they are is they're not just like normal socks. They're like really thick, um, like socks with like this, like... Did I already buy you socks one other time? No, yeah, because I have them and I wore them the, the other day. They're black and you kind of slip them in and they go kind of mid-calf. 
And they're almost like a sock slipper vibe where they're really thick. And what would you call this material? This like, what is this? I call it just fuzzies. Like fuzzy material on the inside. It's incredibly warm and she is not wrong. Like legit, these socks saved me from the snowpocalypse that happened here. I'm putting these earrings on. So I just love the, I just love like, so, okay. My favorite socks that I own are actually, well, I love the Christmas ones you gave me a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. But I do also love hospital socks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to describe them. Hospital socks, but thicker, and they have this really, really soft lining on the inside. So I'm in the hospital a lot. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and I always make sure I'm like, the socks are coming home with me. Oh, hell yeah. They're like, do you want to keep your socks? Yep. Yep. The few times I was there as well, uh, yeah, they're like, we're going to give you some socks. I'm like, they absolutely are. That's right, you are. You're like, I'm sure shit. Taking these with me. Thank so, you. So the picture came from Pard Studios, and it's P-A-A-R-D Studios out of Sheffield, United Kingdom. Sheffield? Mm-hmm. Mr. Sheffield, look at you. Oh, my God. I love it. I'm wearing my Bowie earrings right now. Thank you. Uh, okay, so I have got to give you yours. And do you want me to tell you what it is or you want no. me to give it to you? Okay. No. Stay tuned. It'll probably be on the, one of the, the episodes in the new year of <laughs> me. Hey, by the way, because I literally, I completely spaced that I should be bringing it to this, to this pre-recording. I'm a bad pod friend. No, I was just, I, okay. Y'all, I love giving gifts. Like if I can give a gift, I will make up a reason to give a gift. Oh, that's true. Because I love giving gifts. And I love giving the perfect gift. Like, I scoured Etsy to find the perfect gift. And you nailed it. I love it. I love my Bowie earrings. Oh, and I love theme gifts. Oh, yeah. So, um, my other bestie that I work with, she had a birthday in August. And I got her a theme gift off Etsy because we both love... The movie Irving Cowboy. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I have yet to watch this movie, and I really need so to get into it. So we're both older than you, so we both <laughs> love Irving Cowboy. And I got her the Irving Cowboy-themed birthday gifts. I got her, like, a Yeti cup that was decorated all in Irving Cowboy. And if you haven't seen this movie, shame on all of you. Go watch it now. Sorry. Um, But... In the back window of the truck, they have license plates that say Bud and Sissy. Oh, God. So I got her Bud and Sissy license plates I found on Etsy. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> and um, they go to this um, honky-tonk, because it's the 80s. Because naturally. In Pasadena, called, which was a real place back in the day, called Gillies. And I got her a Gillies sticker that I <laughs> Yeah. Did she lose her mind? Yes, yeah, of course. That's incredible. I lost my mind. I'm like, open it right now. You're so funny because you, you're right. You do love like the getting and the giving of the gift way more than receiving, which I, I love yes. about you. I think that's such yes. a great quality. I like, I love picking out the perfect gift for people. I just love it. And a good theme gift. like. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Like, you nailed it. Is your theme. Absolutely. I'm putting this up on my office wall. And if you ever follow us on TikTok, you'll see me in the office in my home with a lot of shit on my wall. And this was definitely going up part of it. So, so. thank you. You're welcome. Okay, you're going to have to find out what yours are, but I am losing my mind. I can't wait to tell you what they are. Well, I'm just, I, I don't even care because that, I, I, that made me so excited. <laughs> like, I love the perfect theme gift and it makes me so excited. Thank you. You're welcome. Yay. She wants to hug me and she knows I'm not a hugger. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually physically holding my hands. Come hug me. Okay. Yay. Thank you. I got a hug. That was mine. Um, do you want to tell them the super awesome announcement or am I still early again? You can tell them. Okay. So it's not, it's, it's, it's awesome for me. So I hope you guys are as excited as I am. We're going to be changing it up in the new year. New year, new season. Yes. New season. Doesn't mean we won't come back to moms. Just means we're kind of taking a break from them and we're going to try something new, if you know what I'm saying. So we are. You got to spice it up sometimes. Oh, yes. So we are doing... Dads. <laughs> exactly. Did I steal your thunder? No. That's why I looked at you. I was like, oh, with the assist. We're doing killer dads. So stay tuned. We are going to be taking a break from moms, going into dads next year. And we're going to do that until we uh, feel like changing it up again. Yeah. Or as I like to call them, man cunts. I know. That's so great. We're going to have to do that at hashtag on all our socials. Man cunt. I mean, it was kind of serendipitous that I had just, that I had wrote Man Cunts two episodes ago. I was like, we had literally made that decision before we recorded that. And I was like, Man Cunts? Mm-hmm. This actually works out perfect. Oh, I was going to ask you. So I've been trying to think of a word besides murderino, which we know our mothers at MFM. Yes. Absolutely, that's their word. And we have yes. no problem with that. But I think we need to have our own f as well, but for like true crime fans. Mm -hmm. So TCF, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of lame if we say that, but. Yeah, no, I'm gonna have to think on this. I also kind of like true crimers because it's stupid because it doesn't really rhyme. <laughs> no. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, see. I'm gonna sense. have to think on this. Because you're the one who comes up with like the SP and all the stuff, so. Uh, but I do my best work when it just flies out of my mouth. Very true. So workshop that. It's going to be okay. funny. You're going to all of a sudden scream in the middle of an episode. Bah! And it's going to be like <laughs> nowhere. My personalities and my brain will work on that. <laughs> oh, that's how rumors get started. I don't have multiple personalities. What if you did? You'd just be twice, three times, quadruples, much fun. <laughs> you know? I mean, that'd be cool and all. We've all seen Split. We all know. So I guess... Let's go into this. Since it is the week of, um, for us, we celebrate Christmas. Yes. What are some Christmas traditions that you really love? Like with my family? Yeah. Okay. So I think I talked about this before. Um, every year I buy us matching family pajamas. Mm -hmm. Or they're a theme. They don't match exactly, but there's a theme. One year we all got Christmas movie pajamas. Like I got a Christmas story. Um... Pa daughter got um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, um, somebody got Christmas Vacation. Love that. Um, so 
matching theme pajamas and then a new board game and we sit it around Christmas Eve and snack and play a board game. I love that. Until we have to go to my parents' house. That's fun. That sounds like so much fun. So board game, you always do it always do the same board game? Oh no, I get a new one every year. What's this year's? Do you have it yet or do you want to wait? Oh no, I have it. It's in the closet. It's um <gasps> the game that Cards Against Humanity. Oh, you got Cards Against Humanity. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, because your kids are older too, so mm-hmm. you can actually play that kind of game with yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's what about cool. you? Um, our tradition was in my family to go to like a midnight Christmas Eve service around 10, 11, 12, depending when they actually had the midnight is more of a placeholder name than actuality a lot of times. Um, but we do that. Christmas Eve service, and we'd open, um, we actually would open one gift pre-service and all the rest of the gifts after the service. And at the service, they'd always give the kids, because I was raised Lutheran, very German, obviously, um, sect of the Christian religion. I was always given a a paper bag with an apple and orange, um, pecans, walnuts, and like wrapped candies in it and, and candy canes. And sometimes there'd be like a little gift in it, but they, the church would actually give it to every single one of the kids. And I don't know if it's like a German tradition, hmm. but that stupid bag, when you're a kid, you're like, this is lame. I don't right. want fruit. Right. But now I'm like, fuck, I kind of want that bag of fruit with nuts. Sounds really good. If your pot hubby doesn't give you a bag <laughs> of fruit and nuts. If I had known this story, you would have gotten a bag of fruit and nuts from me. It almost sounds sexual. It almost sounds like it's something like, you know, the old bag of fruit and nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it almost sounds like, but he can give you the sexual fruit and nuts. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the sexual fruit and nuts. I do not require that of you. Don't worry. <laughs> but no, like it's, it's one of those things that I'm like, and now I'm, the reason I'm talking about it on the podcast is because I want to know if this was anybody else's tradition as well. Because I'm like, is that just my church and my family? Or was that like a thing for all Lutherans? Or was that a Christian thing? Like, where did this come from? You Have know? Have you ever Googled it? No. Because I kind of just want to find out from somebody. You know what I mean? I yeah, want to yeah, hear yeah. a story behind yeah, yeah. it. I, I hear ya. But now my tradition um, is there is no tradition. Well, you and... Your pod hubby need to create a tradition. Yeah, I think... Why don't y'all have one? I don't know, because for us... For me, it's because, like, um, because I was raised so Christian and, like, you know, indoctrinated, essentially, that now I, I'm trying to find my own way, trying to find my own tradition, to your point. And he was raised very, very Catholic, and, you know, them and, you know, church yeah, services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could be here for an hour and a half. But um, we both kind of were, like just trying to figure it out on our own. And I think a lot of times what we do is, I mean, obviously we change gifts and stuff. We sleep in, we'll watch movies. And so that's why I'm trying out this scary 31 days of scary movies thing to see if it's like I vibe with it or not. Cause I do remember once with my mom when she wasn't a complete awful person, one Christmas day, we actually stayed up and we watched like um, sci-fi movies, like the day the earth stood still, the old one. And like movies like that, like really strange. Um, the 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 brain that wouldn't die or something, not the Bruce Campbell feature, but the other one, and that was really fun. So part of the reason why I'm 
doing the 31 days of scary is because of that. Because I'm like, I want to see if this is something I would want to keep doing or if it's right. just like right now. But um, yeah. The other reason why we don't have a tradition is I feel like anymore, depending on who you are, of course, Chris, uh, Christmas has gotten so commercialized. It's yeah. literally just about giving and getting gifts that you're like, ugh. It just doesn't feel like I think it should. It should be about like caring about people and giving and, but we should also just be that way. Yeah. Our whole, the whole year. It shouldn't just be one day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's why like we spent it together doing stuff together because we were always so busy with the kids doing stuff. Like we're able to come together and now that two of my kids are gone, we can, it's, now we're still coming together. Yeah, and for you, that's like, I love the tradition that you made. The board game, the everything, like, this is what we do. I love that, that's so fun. Do y'all eat anything special? Cause I, I never really did. I remember even as a kid, we never really ate anything very special. So, growing up, we always did the turkey. Okay. Again, right after having the turkey at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I always thought the double turkey thing was kind of so, weird. I was like, why are we doing turkey again? I don't do that. Okay. Last year we had steaks, shrimp, mm. scallops, baked potato. Oh shit, you went fancy. We went bouge. Yeah, you did. Um, this year I'm making my famous homemade lasagna. Oh, girl. So, um, my youngest pot son, he loves lasagna. I mean, who doesn't love lasagna and pasta? Seriously. And I love it, and I love to make it. Like, I love to cook. I actually do love to cook. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just when I work eight hours a day Mm. and I come home, I don't want to spend three hours in the kitchen. No. And homemade lasagna, when you make the sauce and everything homemade, it takes several hours. Yes, it does. So homemade lasagna is like a special thing I don't do all the time anymore. So um, I'm doing it for Christmas Day dinner. Oh, that sounds delicious. I'll do lasagna. I'll probably buy a bag salad. Oh, yeah. But I am, I promised my family I would make homemade bread. Oh, wow. You make bread? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, peeling the layers of this onion. It's taken me a long time, guys, just so you know. Like, <laughs> it takes a minute. <laughs> I am a very private person. Yes. And, and, and here we are doing a podcast. I know. That's so weird. I know. <laughs> but yes, no, that's... I make homemade bread. Incredible. Tamales. Okay. Is that just a Texas thing? The Christmas tamales, you order the tamales from like the family that you know makes tamales in the neighborhood or the, in, the, in the town or in the church. Everybody orders or gets tamales from that person. Is that just a Texas thing? I don't know. Did you ever have that as a kid? Like where they would always do like, we would buy tamales from a lady every year? You always knew a lady. There was always, there was a, always a There was a tamale There's lady. There was always a lady. That everyone gets their tamales from that lady. Correct. That lady has the best tamales. I don't know. I don't have a tamale lady. Let me tell you, I haven't bought tamales since. So, my husband worked with this guy whose parents were from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, ooh, El Salvador. I was like, does his mom make tamales? So, of course, Daniel was like, 
bro, his mom eats tamales, my wife wants to know. And so he brings home these tamales. Oh. They were wrapped in banana leaves instead of corn hugs. Mm. Best fucking tamales I've ever eaten in my life. I have never bought another tamale again because I know they're going to be in corn husks. And I know that they're not going to be as good as these banana leaf tamales that I've had. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where to get these banana leaf tamales. What happened to her? Where is she? Well, he went back to prison, I think. Oh. Yeah, so maybe not a good idea to be like, hey, does your mom still make those tamales? So, <laughs> we lost our connection. And I've never bought another tamale again. Oh, damn. Because I know that's more like a Central American type tamale. Mm. And the cornhouse tamales are more Mex- Mexico. Mexico, right. And that's the type of tamales everyone here makes. Yeah, which makes sense. Hello, we have a lot of Mexican people from Mexico in Texas. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I know. We need to find a, a lady too. Trust me. Because... I've been thinking about that. I was like, there's nothing like a homemade tamale. I'm, t- I'm telling you, I saw the sign when we came back from lunch. Oh, you're right. Yeah. A couple of houses up. You need to get on that and report back to me and let me know tamale's situation. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Nobody in my family but me likes tamales. What? Well, my kids were really small when this tamale situation happened, and then okay. I never bought them again. Okay. I'm sure my older children would like tamales. Yeah. The younger one, he would probably like them now, but my husband doesn't like tamales. Really? Yes. I would think, of all people, Podhub would definitely. Mm-mm. Interesting. Okay. Maybe if you covered it in cheese. <laughs> Which you mean you can do. That's easy. Here's some shredded cheese, microwave, and we're done. Here you go. Yeah? I don't like to microwave things. You don't like to microwave things? We're getting, we're telling too much things about me. Okay. I don't. (laughs) Okay, okay, look. If I'm gonna like heat something up or cook something, I want it in the oven. I don't like to use the microwave. Okay, what if it's like I'm reheating a leftover type situation? You can be honest. I'm, I'm not judging you. I'm just, this is fascinating for me. I'm like, really? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I actually, um, I prefer to like put it in the oven. Really? What, why is that? Is there a thing behind it or just like the taste better? I think it tastes better and um, it has to do with the... Microwaves? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because I think... I think that's generational because when you were growing up, right, microwaves were just then hitting the market, like just, right? When I, I grew mean, up- we had a microwave right. and I used it all the time and I've never had a problem using the microwave. Like right. this has like been a situation since I've become an adult. Oh, so it wasn't like from childhood where you were told like the microwaves will no. fry your brain or no. whatever. Okay, because I was just wondering, I'm like, is this like a thing? Because like we also always had a microwave in the house. Now granted, my mom cooked awfully, but at least she she cooked. I'll give her that. But boiled Brussels sprouts with no seasoning, no butter, no oil, vom, right? So, but when we reheated, this is what my mother used to do. Cook maybe once or twice a week, put everything in the fridge, labels and everything like that, like enough for a week. You would go in, you'd take out your portion, and you'd microwave your plate. 
So microwaves to me, that's like day in, day out, that's my life. Now anymore, I'm very fortunate. My pod hubs, what, what's my, what am I naming? My pod hub, hizzy or hubsy? Hubsy. The pod hizzles. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. I, I I remember you saying it, but I... It, yeah. It, trust me, I, I barely remember. Um, I'm very fortunate he's the cook, so we rarely have to do leftovers. Again, oh, I'm so lucky. But when we reheat something, we're like, ah, microwave, you know, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I... Interesting. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm, we're done. Don't worry. We're done. I don't, I don't want to like push you on the spot. I know it sounds so... I'm aware it sounds crazy. I know that no, because sounds crazy. Actually, a lot of reheating instructions for a lot of things say put it in the oven or a toaster oven because you're right. It actually does make the food cook how it's supposed to cook to get it the, the flavors correct, right? Because as you know, when you put stuff in the microwave, either it'll dry it out or it'll make it super like mushy. Right? A lot of times. It, I think I just think it tastes better and then there's the whole like like microwave thing. I just don't think that's healthy for you. I don't I don't know. I don't know. You ready for murder? <laughs> yes. I, I'm ready for murder. Okay, let's talk about murder. Because you know, I read a book. And you know when I read a book It's gonna be a long episode, guys. Get your uh, get your feet up. Get your blanket, get your boobies. <laughs> And let's, because I'm feeling very exposed. Yes. Real quick, is this an SP episode? Is there anything like that we need to be like, watch out? Um, domestic violence. Okay. Okay. So domestic violence, again, if you're not into it, I mean, well, nobody's into it. But if you're not, if it's a triggering thing for you, please, yeah. We'll see you on the next one. But, um, yeah, let's get into it. Okay. Who you got? Jane Hirschman was born January 25th, 1949 to Gladys and Maurice Hirschman in Canada. <gasps> oh, it's almost like it's a real country. Oh, Canada. She had an older brother and two younger sisters. So, when the Korean War started in June 1950, Maurice, her dad, joined the Canadian Army and after returning home permanently in 1952, he decided to remain in the army as a chef. And this caused the family to move around a lot, as any military family does. Yep. So Maurice then began drinking, and by drinking, I mean a lot. And with the drinking came the abuse. Um, but Maurice did not abuse his children. Um, he was just strict with them. And he directed his abuse at his wife. Oh, and shit. Fortunately, Jane was there to see it, and she witnessed it. How likely is this undiagnosed PTSD? Know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know what Canada's role in the Korean War was. But still, like, military... I mean, this is a very common, unfortunately common thing. They go over there, they come back. They drink, they use substance abuse. Yes. Abu like, this is a very unfortunately common thing. So, with it comes, like, a lot of PTSD. Yes. Yeah. So, there was a big turning point in Jane's life when she was in the first grade. Um, Jane always helped the teacher clean the, I'm assuming, blackboards at the school. Um, and things like that after school. And one of the reasons why she did this is because it made her feel needed and loved. 
And then one year around the holiday season, um, the teacher said something about decorating the classroom, and she brought out a bundle of Christmas cards for that reason. And Jane was staying after class and doing her usual thing, and she saw the cards on the teacher's desk, and she just couldn't help herself. She was so excited. She glued the cards to the blackboard. Jane was so fucking proud of herself, she couldn't wait till the next day for her classmates to see how pretty the classroom was. But the next day when she got to class, her teacher did not look happy. And in fact, the teacher asked who did it. And Jane was so proud of herself, she proudly walked to the front of the class and, ha and asked how beautiful it was. But she got punished with the strap. Because back in the day, you could do that. Right. The teacher never told Jane what she did wrong. And this is when Jane stopped trusting people and she became quiet and withdrawn. Mm. So, and it's at a, like an impressionable age, yeah. so not good. So, um, when Jane was in seventh grade, Maurice was sent with the Canadian forces um, to a base in Germany for three and a half years. So, while in Germany, um, Jane earned a little bit of spending money by babysitting, probably with other families on the base. She also washed heads and cleaned the floors and the sinks at a hairdresser's. So, she was like the shampoo girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then one day, when Jane was 14 at the shop, she asked, instead of getting paid, if she could have her hair done. Huh. She's 14. She's working at a hairdresser's. So she's like, instead of paying me, can you do my hair? Oh, yeah. Like, I could totally see that. And I can totally see how she'd be excited about it. Plus, back then, we've got phenomenal hairstyles like beehives going on. So we're talking like... They gave... Work. So they did a back comb mm -hmm. of her hair. And they added a little bit of makeup. And she thought that she had been transformed. And she was the bee's knees. <laughs> I like that 50s term you use there, the bee's knees. I just popped that out. Cute. So, well, good old Papa Maurice was drunk when she got home. Ugh. And when he saw her, he flipped his shit and yelled, who the hell do you think you are? You made up whore. You get in the bathroom and wash that shit off your face and comb your hair. Jane seldom wore makeup after that, even into her 20s and her 30s. Oh, man. So, then another time, while they were still in Germany, Jane came home from school, and Gladys, she was in bed and couldn't get up, and the bedding was soaked in blood. Wait, 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 real quick. Gladys's mom? Yes. Oh, my God. So, luckily, Maurice did arrive home right after Jane, and he rushed Gladys to the hospital. Later that night, Jane heard Maurice return home, and she initially thought... He had brought someone home with her, but then she realized he was praying, and she never forgot his prayer. He said, Dear God, let Gladys live, please. I do not know what I'd do without her. I love her, and I'll never lay a hand on her again. Hmm. Gladys had suffered a tubal pregnancy, oh. and while the doctors were initially afraid the massive bleeding would lead to shock and death, Gladys actually did survive, and she returned home in a few days. While the drinking and the cussing and the arguing continued, Maurice never laid another hand on his wife again. Okay, good. So he did actually make good on that promise. The mm -hmm. Okay, good. 
So while they were in Germany, Jane actually started dating a service member named Joe. So Jane wasn't supposed to be dating Joe. Um, he was several years older than her, and she actually turned 15 while she was dating him. So if he was a service member, oh, he, he had to have been at least 18. Yeah, 18, 19, so 20. She, so she, yeah, so 15. She was actually 14 when they started dating. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a little, <laughs> little young. Yeah. So she saw Joe in secret, and when her found, dad found out she had been skipping school to spend time with Joe before the family moved back to Canada, that's when Jane received her one and only beating from her father. Oh, shit. So, Jane's last night in Germany, she actually snuck out to spend it with Joe, and that's when Jane lost her virginity. Yeah, that's... I was going to say, this is going to be the... I can totally... You're taking me on this journey completely with the teenage girl thing. Like, I get, I get where she's at mentally, completely. So, Jane and Joe made a plan to rekindle their romance when Joe returned to Canada. But alas, that was not meant to be. Um, Jane received one final letter from Joe. And it came with a pair of white boots she had been admiring in a shop window. Mm -hmm. But she never had from Joe again, and that was another disappointment in Jane's young life. Yeah. So Jane was very unhappy when they returned to Canada. She didn't have any friends, she was very lonely. What she really wanted to do was leave home, and she finally got her chance when her parents' friends were being transferred to Nova Scotia, and her parents actually said she could go with them for the summer. She would travel with them, um, Wait, real quick. Is she an only child? I no, she has a brother and two younger sisters. Oh, okay, okay. So they're basically like, hey, actually, that'd be totally fine. Because <laughs> yeah. then we have one less kid, and then you get to, like, kind of do your thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, so she would travel with them and look after their two younger sons on the train. Mm. But the entire trip, the couple drank and fought. The husband was an alcoholic who beat his wife. And Jane actually only stayed with them a few days before she had one of the couple's relatives drive her to her paternal grandmother's house in Liverpool. Wow. Um, she thought that her grandmother's house was going to be a safe place for her. Mm -hmm. And so she lived with her grandma Mill and a big George Wynott who lived with grandmother with Grandma Mill. So Grandma Mill, Big George, and Jane lived downstairs while Grandma Mill's son James, so her uncle James, his wife, and their young son lived upstairs of the house. Okay. So Uncle James would have his fishing buddies over for drinks. Oh, God. And this is where Jane met Milford Milfy. Why not? No relation to Big George that I know of. Wait, wait, wait. This guy's name is Milford Milney? Milfy. Milfy? They called him Milfy. Oh, good lord. And his last name's Why Not? Yeah. Why Not? Milford Why Not? Yeah. Oh, my God. That is the 50-ass name that I've ever heard. The yes. most 50s name. Seriously. Yes. yes. Good lord. 
So Milfi would actually become her first husband, and he was nine years older than her. But he reminded her of Joe. Um, Jane said that Milfi um, filled a lonely spot in her life and that she needed someone and he happened to be the one that came along and she doesn't know if she loved him or not. So regardless of how Jane felt, she began dating him. And at some point, Grandma Mill decided she didn't think Jane should be dating Milfi and told Jane that if she continued, she would write Jane's parents and tell them she was being, being bad and she didn't want Jane there anymore. Well, of course, like any teenage girl, Jane agreed not to see Melfi, but did it anyways. No, oh, of course. I mean, sure, Grandma. How many of us yeah. pulled that same trick out of our hats? Seriously. So when Mill found out um, she was still dating him, she of course tried to send her back to her parents. But Jane just went and lived with her maternal grandparents, George and Gertrude Westhaber. So George and Gertrude didn't have an issue with Milfi and Jane dating, and they didn't have to sneak around anymore. So finally, Jane felt a sense of security and part of a family. And then Jane got a letter from her mom. Oh, no. Telling her that Joe had returned from Germany and had come to their house to visit her. The reason she had not gotten letters from him was not because he had forgotten about her, but because he had been in a motorcycle accident and was in the hospital for a long time. Oh, this is like a really sweet story, and so he goes to visit her. Oh, that's really sweet. That's really nice. Mm -hmm. But Jane was with Milfi and didn't want to go back home. So that was the last she heard about Joe. Girl, no. You dump that motherfucking Milfi because you don't even know if you like him anyway. And you go run back romantic ending style to the to your mans. What? I personally wonder what story I'd be telling you if Jane had gone home to Joe. That's what I'm saying. She probably would have had like, it would have been fairy tales and roses. I mean, I'm sure not. But you know what I mean? Like, I feel like... I wouldn't be telling you this story. Yeah, okay, okay. So when Jane was 16, she became pregnant with Milfi's baby. And as most did in the 60s, they got married. Wait, okay, so he's nine years older? Mm-hmm. What would that be? Nine. 25. Oh, I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not great. I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jerry? Yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13-year-old cousins at the same time. So, you know, different time. And he was like 45. So, could be worse. So, there was not a fancy wedding. They were married at the minister's house with Jane's Aunt Judy and her new husband as witnesses. Jane was wearing a blue dress borrowed from Milfi's sister. And after the ceremony, they went to a reception held at Milfi's friend's apartment where Milfi got drunk. Oh, no. After the reception, they went back to Milfi's grandparents' house where they would be living and went to bed. <sighs> so marriage and the baby, it changed Milfi, right? Made him grow up. Oh, no. Not men in the 50s. Are you kidding? Nope. Got worse. He Let me came guess. and went as he pleased. Yeah, there it is. In fact, he began to ignore Jane more and more. There it is. Then on October 5th, 1965, at 1 a.m., Jane was driven to the hospital in labor, and no one could find Milfi. 
I'm, I'm really not surprised by that at all. Nope. So Jane gave birth to Alan all alone, and when she called the house to tell Milfie she had the baby, Grandma answered the phone and told her Milfie was asleep and she didn't want to wake him. What? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, don't wake him. He only just had a kid. Don't, no big deal. Just let him, let him let nap him it sleep. out. Let it's him fine. sleep. He's sleeping off a bender. So Jane asked her to have Milfie bring her suitcase to the hospital, you know? Yeah, no, I need clothes, yeah. So later that day, when Milfie managed to roll up to the hospital, he dropped her suitcase off at the nurse's station and told them to tell Jamie had a cold and left. No one came to see Jane or the baby while they were in the hospital. When Jane was discharged from the hospital, it was Milfie's grandfather that came and picked her and the baby up. Okay, I'm sorry. I am 100% for a murderous rampage in that right now on her, on her behalf, 100%. Absolutely. Murder's not for the answer. Except in this case. <laughs> like, for real. That's fucked up. That is fucked up. I mean, let's be real honest here. Even for the 1950s, that's shit. Well, if you're already, already ready for a murderous rampage, you just wait. Oh, oh is she going to give it to me? You just wait. You think you're ready for one now? <laughs> I mean, so far, I will say she's been shrinking herself and shrinking herself and shrinking herself to be what she thinks everybody else wants her to be. I'm very upset her that she didn't choose Joe, but that's beside the point. It's still just like, how, when is, she's got to be her own advocate here, you know? But at the same time, people treat her like dick. Oh, you just wait. So Jane and Melfi lived with his grandparents for about a year and a half before getting their own place. Milfie never abused Jane, but he was also never home. And if he was, he was half drunk or asleep. And they only had sex when Milfie wanted to. So when, Al when Alan started school, Jane decided to finish her high school education and finished the 10th grade with straight A's um, by the end of June 1971. January 1972, Jane enrolled in a typing course, but Milky decided to quit his job for a better paying one. Now that sounds like a great idea, right? He has a baby and a wife, he needs to support him. Sure. Better paying job. Of course. Round of applause. It would have been if he could have kept his better paying job, but he couldn't because of his drinking. Oh, good Lord. Not long after enrolling her type in her typing class, Jane found out she was pregnant with her second baby. Oh, no. This is, this is exactly why birth control was invented. October 17th, 1972, Jane's second son, Jamie, was born. The birth itself was easy, but she began hemorrhaging afterwards. Milfie only brought Alan to the hospital once while she was there. When Jane was... When Jamie was... Three, Jane finally had enough of Melfi's bullshit and told him it was her. Her and the kids are the bottle. Absolutely. Melfi chose the bottle. Yeah, it makes sense. Goodbye. Jane took the kids and went to her parents' house. Alan didn't want to leave Melfi until the scroll was over, so Jane conceded and Alan stayed with her on the weekends and whenever Alan wanted. Makes sense. Alan probably was in school, had friends in that school, and when she moved, it was probably out to a different oh. city. Yep. 
And she was like, okay, you can stay there so you can finish school. Right. So while Jane and Jamie lived with friends, um, Alan lived with Melfi. Okay. While Jane was meeting with a lawyer, she left Jamie with the secretary at the welfare director's office because they told her it was fine. When Jane returned, she found Milfie had come and taken Jamie. What? She ran back to the lawyer's office, and they told her Milfie had as much right to Jamie as she did. After taking her kids back from Milfie, and... Who? I'm sorry. Who am I paying? Who am I paying? I'm paying you, lawyer. I'm paying you, not my husband. What do you mean he has just as much right? Fuck you, dude. Sorry, it's pissed me off. <laughs> Continue. So after trying to get her so after trying to get her kids back from Melfi and failing, she went back to the lawyer's office and was told that Melfi didn't want a divorce and she didn't have grounds for one. Oh god. Furious. Jane thought if Melfi doesn't want a divorce, I'll make him want one. So she went to a doctor that was known for prescribing women birth control pills. No questions asked. <gasps> Not birth control pills. Right. And she picked out a man to have an affair with. Get it, girl. So even in the 70s, you had to have like a, a reason behind your birth control pill. Oh, wow. Damn, y'all, that was not that long ago. That was not that long ago. Yeah, so. RBG, man. She fucking, right? Yeah. Bless her. So, the lucky winner winner chicken dinner was Billy Stafford, one of Milfie's friends. Why does that name sound familiar? Jane had taken notice of Billy at a New Year's at a New Year's party in 1976. Jane found Billy to be a perfect gentleman. Oh, the irony. They never are. The irony of that statement. Lamont William Stafford, a.k.a. Billy, was born on Thursday, February 13th, 1941. But when he got older, he would always tell people he was born on a Friday, Friday the 13th. Oh, God. He was the second oldest of six children to Lamont and Winnie Stafford. Lamont ran his... Um, Lamont Sr. ran a successful scrap iron and junkyard business, and he was very strict with his children. Okay. So, um, I lost my spot. So... Billy, she meets him at this party. She's like, that she guy's met cute. Him. So she had met him in 1976, and they actually had talked, and he seemed sympathetic to her situation with Melfi. Right. Um, not being happy and Melfi running around on her. So I guess that's why she picked him as her side piece. Did, was he, did he look all right? Did he, you know, not bad to look at too? Kind of one of those things like, look, this guy's cuter than you, Milfie. F you. Is it I one of those too? I, I don't know. So, um, Jane called up Billy. And since there had been flirtation when they hung out before, and Billy knew her situation with Milfie, he offered to help her. 
And things just fell into place. And by January 1976, Jane and Billy were living together. And by May of that year, Jane's divorce was finalized. So Shut she up. got what she wants. Good. Except, um, she didn't have her kids. So Milfie had the kids. Mm-hmm. That makes no sense to me at all. He's an alcoholic. That's why she's getting away from him. <laughs> And you're letting children be around an alcoholic. Well, I'm sure that didn't come up in the divorce proceedings. No, probably not. But it should have if her lawyer was good. Just saying. It'd have been like, uh, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> so Jane called Billy her knight in shining armor, and he promised she wouldn't be hurt anymore. Well, Mm-mm-mm. I guess we'll see about that. I don't trust that. Jane felt safe and secure with Billy, but she was devastated she didn't have her kids with her. Custody didn't come up in the divorce proceedings. And while she was sure Milfy would send the kids back after the the divorce, that didn't happen. Mm. Like she thought he was just using it. Oh, for sure. So using she the kids. wouldn't leave him. Right. And when she did, and he was stuck with the kids, he'd be like, "Fuck this! I don't want to raise kids and give them back." Right. Of course. That didn't happen. Weird. So we're gonna kind of go back in time for a hot second. Um. No, we're not gonna go back in time. Sorry. We're in current time. This comes up again later. Got it. I, I, my bad. So in March 1976, Jane was driving Billy's 440 Dodge Monaco. Ooh, that's a great car. Right? Did it have Corinthian leather? <laughs> I don't know. I hope so. But you know what happened? She hit an icy patch and totaled the car. Oh, shit. Um, and Billy didn't have collision insurance, so Jane was terrified to tell Billy when he got back from his two-week fishing run. Ooh, yeah. But when she told him, Billy wasn't mad. In fact, he went out that night and he bought her roses and birthstone earrings. Oh, that's nice. He, he loves her. It was an accident. He understood. Thank God she's around and didn't die. Like Exactly. Her. Her, her knight in shining armor. But... When Billy discovered she was on the pill, he pressured her not to take them, even though doctors advised her not to get pregnant again after her complications with Jamie. Okay. Um, But Billy wanted a baby, so she threw the pills away. In August 1976, Jane was pregnant. Oh, God. So the further along Jane got in her pregnancy, the worse Billy treated her since... um, Billy was out on fishing boats all the time. On May 30th, 1977, Lamont Stafford drove Billy to the hospital. And at 3 a.m., she gave birth to Darren Edward Stafford, their son. So his dad drove him to the hospital. Drove her to the hospital. Drove her to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Because, and so he wasn't even there. And again, she's, why is she alone having to, I'm not saying he needs to be holding her hand, but gee dang it, like at least at the time they would have him wait in the waiting room at minimum. And these motherfuckers aren't even there? Yeah, he was out on his fishing boats, fishing, making money. Like that was his job. They were, he worked on fishing boats. Okay, well that's a little different. He worked on fishing boats. That's a little different than whatever, what's his nuts. So it should be noted that Billy and Jane never got married, but Jane started using his last name at some point. So they were considered common law married. Got it, yeah. Um, so after Darren's birth, Jane began hemorrhaging again like she did with Jamie, and the doctor rec- recommended a tubal ligation. 
within three months of the delivery. Yep. Two days after Darren's birth, she had the surgery. Now, the hospital officials wanted her husband's signature before the surgery. Oh, my God. But Jane told them he was out at sea, and he would sign them when she when he came in to visit. So the hospital did the surgery anyways. Oh, they did? Good. Good. Billy was not happy, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his exact words were... Fuck that. You expect me to sign for an operation that make you no fucking good anymore? No way, old woman. No way. Wow. So progressive. He's such a great guy. Mm-hmm. I love Billy. So he's just basically love bombing her to get what he wants, which is children. Mm-hmm. Whether or not her body can handle it right. doesn't matter to him. What a freaking champ. Mm-hmm. And wait, me, she's not murdering this person? Why? It gives me Jim Bob Duggar vibes. Ugh, gross. So while the verbal abuse started when Jane was pregnant, the physical abuse started in November 1977. Not only had Billy been blacklisted from the fishing boats due to a mutiny situation. Whoa. Yeah, it's a whole story. I had to cut things out. There's a book, Life with Billy. Read it. Um, That's where you got, like, most of this? That's where I got everything. Oh, yeah. Okay, Life with Billy. Uh-huh. Who, who's the author? Do you know? Off the top of your head? I know that. I don't know off the top of my head. We'll, we'll cite our sources on our website, by the yes. way. So, it'll be there. Um, so, he got blacklisted due to a mutiny situation. And since Jane had a job, Billy decided he didn't need to work anymore. Oh, God. He also told her she was in debt to him for $3,000 for smashing up his car. Oh, there it is. There There we go. There we go. And then proceeded to taunt her about it from then on, claiming she never paid it off. Um, Again, in this case, you're not even married to this person. It's even easier to get away from him. So in 1979, Billy's friend Ronald Wambolt came to live with them followed by Jane's oldest son, Alan, in October 1980. Mm. Billy physically abused everyone in the house. Jane, Darren, Ronald, Alan. He terrorized neighbors and pretty much everyone he came across. Jeez. Now, we did do a shit pothole at the beginning for domestic violence. If you're still here, here's a big shit pothole for something else. Billy began sexually assaulting Jane in the worst ways possible. I am not going to go into any details. I cannot and will not describe the things that he did to her. They are described in detail in the book. If you can find it, it's out there. Right. If you want to get into it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Just know it happened and that's horrendous behavior. It is terrible. Yeah. So Jane never went to the police about Billy because he had warned her if she left him, he would kill her family. Also, at the time, going to the police did more harm than good. And if it made it to the court system, judges believed that if domestic assault was treated as a crime, it was breaking up families. So Jane just had to accept her fate. Oh my God. Okay, I'm just going to recap. So basically, the entire system is set up against women. Is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. And From also, the hospitals, 
to having to have a, a, a man's a husband's signature on a tubal ligation that has nothing to fucking do with him. Yes, if it's a children's situation, you should discuss with your partner, of course, but it's her body to nobody being at the hospital to even give a shit that she gave birth three times to being in a divorce proceeding and her even her lawyer's like, huh, well, he, he can take the kids whenever he wants. And then them also saying that there's no reason, we don't have a cause for you to get divorced from this man. Oh, how about he's abusing me? To now this person doing this fucking shit, judges going, well, we don't want to break up families that are domestic violence against each other. Yes, you do. So yes, Jane do. didn't even know that there were um, shelters for women of domestic violence. Like what? she didn't know that existed. How, how, how would she? How would she? Everyone's like basically saying, do what the man says. She put herself in danger to even have the child with this fucker. Yes. It's insane. So. My, how far we've come. And, and in some cases we haven't. This still goes on. Correct. A lot of this does. Correct. Jeez. I'm, I'm really mad. <laughs> if you can't tell, I am so mad right well, now. Well, you might mm. feel vindicated here in a little bit. Okay. So eventually Jane reached her breaking point. She tried to hire a hitman to kill Billy. Oh, shit, girl. But as we all know, that never works out. No. And in this case, it didn't either. Um, another shit pothole. In March 11th, 1982, Billy had... Already raped her that afternoon. Oh, God. Then he and Ronald came home drunk. Alan wanted to kill himself because, in his words, we aren't living, we aren't alive, we are just like robots, we just exist. Oh, that's her son? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Billy made Jane drive him and Ronald to another friend's house, and when they got home, Ronald, so the three of them are in the truck, Ronald gets out of the truck, but Billy's passed out. Jane was not allowed to leave, not allowed to get out of the truck until Billy woke up and gave her permission to get out of the house or get out of the truck. So she just had to sit there in the truck. Fuck him. With him passed out. Kick him, kick him the fuck out the, on the curb. So. Bye. Jane honked the horn to get Alan's attention because Alan was in the house. When Alan came out... She asked him to go load the shotgun and bring it to her. Here we go. And then go back in the house. Jane got out of the truck, aimed the shotgun at Billy, closed her eyes and pulled the trigger. Bless. She did. She then drove the truck down the road, pulled it off into the trees. She had already called her dad to have her pick to have him pick her up down the road. She. Um, had her son and a neighbor dispose of the gun. She showered at her parents' house and had them bring her back to the house. I Okay, I am also kind of loving this surprise support system that's happening behind the scenes here. Her dad never looked at her. She went in the house, in the dark house, and showered. So he says he never, like... So she brought... When she drove away with Billy in the truck... She brought clothes with her, so she went with her dad to the house, showered, changed. He says it was dark. He never saw her. She, he didn't know what happened. Hmm. He's a military man. He knows what to say. 
Let's just so, say that much. So yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I just my daughter was on the side of the road. I went and picked her up. Yes. That's all I know. Yes. So there it is. Um. So let I, I'm going to be honest. I don't have to recap everything for you. Um, somebody saw the truck, found the body, police got involved. Yada, yada. Um, in the end, she's on trial for Billy's murder. Jane's lawyer, Alan Ferrier, didn't think there should be a trial at all. And he was ready for Jane to plead guilty to manslaughter and was almost positive the Crown Prosecutor would accept the plea deal after the life Jane had lived with Billy. Mm -hmm. But the Provincial Attorney General's office wouldn't do it because Billy was asleep when Jane shot him. So off to trial, Jane went. She was facing first-degree murder charges, carrying 25 years without parole. Um, asleep, you mean passed out because he's drunk as shit from earlier in the day wait, after having raped her. Wait, you just wait. Mm. The trial began November 2nd, 1982 and lasted 18 days and gained nationwide attention because it was seen as a symbol for the struggle against male oppression and spousal abuse. There were a total of 46 witnesses and the judge's charge, including the explanation of law, took seven and a half hours. The jury could return one of four verdicts. Guilty of first degree murder, guilty of second degree murder, guilty of manslaughter, or not guilty. Um, after 17 and a half hours, the jury returned a verdict of? I'm going to go with manslaughter. Not guilty. Yes. How many women were on that jury? How know. many women? I don't know. Fun fact. In Canada, the Crown can appeal the decision in a trial. Shit. Not like in America, where just the defense can appeal and on December 15th, the Crown launched an appeal in Jane's case. Oh, damn it. So they're like, we were bound and determined to get this woman. Mm -hmm. So while waiting on the appeals process, Jane started to start. Jane finished her high school education and started a nursing aid course at a vocational school. November 30th, 1983, a judge determined Jane's case would go back to trial because basically they put Billy's character on trial and a lot of the evidence was inadmissible and irrelevant. Also, the judge granted the appeal because appeal granted the appeal did not believe that self-defense applied because no person has the right in anticipation of an assault that may or may not happen to apply force to prevent an, the imaginary assault. Okay, this is where laws in there in Canada and the United States have not caught up with reality and the fact of abuse victims okay because if an abuse victim and you're am i am i, am I jumping am i jumping ahead okay an, an abuse victim in that instance you know either sexually or physically or verbally or whatever is always at a heightened sense of fear and anxiety and trauma to the point where they always feel in danger of their life so yes she was in fucking danger of her life because she was constantly being assaulted all the time by this person. Do you want to know what happened? They fucking convicted her. So, her lawyer, Alan Ferrier, knew Jane did not want to go through another trial and knew this time that the Crown might not turn down a plea deal, so he tried again. And this time they accepted right away Jane's plea to guilty of manslaughter. So it went to the judge. 
the judge sentenced Jane to six months in jail and two years probation. Oh, thank God. Allowing her to commute from jail to attend her classes and complete her nursing courses. <laughs> Canada. Yeah. It's so funny how Canada is like so strict on certain things, but other things like that, where they'll literally let people like walk in out of jail, you're like, John, do y'all like They drove her to and from class right? and to her um her internship or whatever at the hospitals <laughs> like so that is like the they, nicest thing possible well you know i'll be back make sure you're back by you know seven o'clock eh like they, what the they, fuck they took her there so <laughs> i mean i'm watching you get all mad i'm like she doesn't get punished i'm mad because the system is set up against women that's why i'm mad and especially for her case now again we're gonna say it again murder is never the answer well, she actually wasn't the cunt this time. No, she was not. Billy was the cunt. 100%. And Milfie was the cunt. But anywho, yep. her story's not over. Ooh, okay. There's there's more. So Jane was released from prison on April 14th, 1984, and her and Darren changed their last names from Stafford to Hirschman. And in June 1984, Jane graduated as a nursing assistant, and two months later, she was released from parole with a year of probation. Now, there are some things that Jane did not know about Billy when she met him that might would have changed the course of her life if she had known. Mm. In 1962, when Billy was 21, he married Pauline Ockle. She was pregnant with their child, and Pauline was granted a divorce six, year late, six years later on the grounds of cruelty. Ooh. They had a total of five children. In 1971, Billy was living with a common-law wife, Faith Hatt. The relationship lasted two years and ended because Billy beat the shit out of Faith and she said, fuck you, and left. Billy didn't know Faith was pregnant. For the next several years after Jane got out of prison, she spent time in and out of therapy working with other, and working with other abused women. Um, she was dating. She always dated older men. And when the book Life with Billy was written and came out, she spent a lot of time doing interviews and press. And then on July 21st, 1990, through a mutual friend, she met Joel Cockrum and in a whirlwind romance the couple was living together by early september and engaged by late fall and october 10th 1991 they were married i'm scared for her should i be scared i'm scared so there's something about jane that no one knew none of her friends none of her family oh Jane was a kleptomaniac. Oh, shit. Hell like, yeah. She, like, she literally had no control over herself. She had been caught many, many times and had gone to court for it, but somehow this lucky bitch had avoided jail time. What? In fact, one time her psychologist testified in court that her kleptomania was a mental disorder and she was working through a bit. Through it. Um... Uh, None of those things are a lie, but, I mean... It doesn't just go away. It, 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 it's there. You just do it. Like, it's like a, an impulse, you know? So, every time she was getting close, like, 
some sort of breakthrough in therapy with her psychologist, she would quit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there was things from her childhood that would come to surface, and she did not want to acknowledge them and not want to know that they happened because she went through hypnosis, Mm -hmm. and she would quit and not go anymore or go to or take a break and then go see a new therapist. Mm -hmm. And I will say this. At least she was going to therapy. Which is a big deal. Back then, you didn't go to therapy. So she spent a lot of time working with other abused women. So much so that it was a lot of her friends felt, especially her husband, felt it actually wasn't healing for her. It was unhealthy. Oh, like she was like wallowing in it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so. It, it, it was. Yeah, you're right. There is a fine line between. Yes. Yeah. yes. So, you know, it's very, you have to read the book that goes into a lot of detail that I had to chop out. Right. Um, But on February 21st, 1992 was the last one anyone saw Jane. There was many people looking for her. And then on February 23rd, a couple was watching ships in the harbor. And the man saw a woman slumped over in a driver's seat. Once he saw the color of her face, he realized there was something wrong and called the police. The police showed up and they realized it was their missing person, Jane Hirschman. They began investigating what happened to Jane. She was dead? Mm-hmm. In the harbor in a boat? In her car. Oh, in her car. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I haven't told you yet is that Jane had been receiving threatening messages at her home, at the places she volunteered, as well as notes on her car. And there was one left in the pocket of the jacket she was wearing when they found her inside of her car. What the fuck? Jane was shot one time in the chest, so initially this was started out as a homicide investigation. But things began to change when the investigation moved forward. Jane was found in the car with a blanket over her lap, and there was a cup of coffee on the passenger side floorboard. There were no footprints in the snow leaving the car, but it was February in Canada, so it could have snowed again and covered the footprints. The gun was then found in the blankets and the barrel of the gun. When they did the autopsy, they realized that the barrel of the gun had been placed between the first two buttons of her camisole, but the camisole itself was not damaged. There was gunpowder residue found on the blanket and the webs between her thumbs and forefingers on both hands. Okay, so she has GSR in her hands. There's no hole in her top. I'm just wondering if, if it's a camisole that actually did button up or just had the fake buttons because if it is you can put it through the hole through the you know what i'm saying where the buttons like button button hole in the middle mm-hmm. yes but then why would there be coffee on the floorboard of the passenger seat if there's not someone sitting there although i have put my coffee on the floorboard of the passenger side before interesting so neither jane or nor her husband Joel had a gun permit. In December 91, Jane asked Joel to get a gun permit because she was worried about her safety because she had such a high profile. Joel did ask the police about the permit, but he found out he had to fill out an application and he decided to get a gun any other way he could because, you know, filling out the application is just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, you don't want a legal gun. Yeah, I know. Before he could, uh, before he could get a gun, Jane told him she was able to get one and showed him an old 38 caliber pistol with no serial number, and it was in a clear ba- plastic bag with six bullets in a separate bag. 
the fuck did she get that? This was also the gun the police found in the car with Jane. Okay, but where did she get that gun? Do you, does it say, did the book say? Nope. What? Previously, Jane had asked one of her friends for a favor. This was not a normal, can I borrow your holly hobby cake pan type of favor. <laughs> yeah. She told her friend about this woman who was dying of cancer and was really ill and that she would pay someone $2,000 to shoot her and another $1,000 to someone who would remove the gun. Jane said that she was willing to shoot the woman if her friend would remove the gun. The friend was like, what the fuck? I don't understand. If you shoot her, why can't you take the gun with you? Right. And she was like wigged out over this situation. And in the end, Jane's friend was too upset and too dumbfounded and to even like process all this. And Jane told her it's taken care of and never mentioned it again. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. So when Jane was found, her friend told the police about this conversation. Absolutely, you tell the police about that. So Jane also left a tape behind detailing her wishes for her family as an amendment to her will. She also had the family bills paid up and a plan for who would take care of Darren if something should happen to her. In the end, Jane's death was ruled a suicide, but a lot of her friends don't believe that she committed suicide and that her death was a homicide and the police just didn't investigate the threats that she received enough. Holy shit. That's the case? That's it. Holy shit. That was twisty turny. See, I was thinking it was over as soon as she got out and she was like, I'm becoming a nurse, I'm doing this thing, I married this new guy. Holy shit. So at the end, she herself turned into a cold case. So, no, Holy. the case is closed. Well, true, but um, us true crimers know. I fully it's believe It's cold she, case. No, I believe she committed suicide. She was trying to set it up to make it look like a homicide because she did not want people to believe that she had killed herself. She had tried to commit suicide before. Oh, she did? Yes. Oh, okay. Because also, like, shooting yourself in the heart is a very, I'm going to say a woman thing. Because, like, women, for the most part, when we kill ourselves, we don't, men men are first to get a gun. We're not. But when we do get a gun, it's normally towards our heart, not our head. Because we've been hurt, right? It's the idea behind well, it. And or also, the gun being put between the buttons, it's like if it was on the button, it was pressing into her and it was hurting her. If you're going to shoot someone, it's not going to be right between the buttons it would have damaged her other, the clothing more. It yeah. was specifically put in between that hole. And also she's a nursing student, so she knows where to put it. Yeah. And she's shot a gun before, so she sure as shit is not afraid of pulling the trigger. Yeah. And maybe at one time before with her friend who wanted to not live anymore. Oh no, that was a fake story. Oh, it was a fake story? Yeah, she just wanted her... F- that was... No, that was... Um, the I think she was trying to get her friend to come pick up the gun after she killed herself. And she was testing the waters. Mm-hmm. She was like, will this girl do it for me? Mm-hmm. Got I'll it. I'll pay you $1,000 if you'll come get the gun. And that's why she was like, I'm not going to do that. And she was like, why not? I don't understand. Like She was like wilding out like, please, like, please just fucking do this thing because I'm going to yes. not be here. Yes. Wow. 
that's oh, why shit. she shot her friend. Right. Someone else had to come get... She get wasn't shooting her friend. She was shooting herself. herself. She needs someone else to get the gun to make it yeah. look like a homicide. Because the gun has to be gone. Otherwise, it's going to be suicide. But the other thing is, is like, if she wanted it to be look like a homicide... And she's literally leaving, like, an amendment to her will. She's paid up all the bills. She sure as hell is not making it look like a homicide. Because if it is, a homicide is, like, nothing is, like, all your bills are unpaid, right? Yeah. You're not leaving a note. You're not amending your yeah, will. Yeah, she... She knew what she was doing, probably. Wow. That's a freaking crazy case. Like, so... I didn't know where that was going. That's a good... I bet the book was a fascinating read. I read that book so fast. It was like 300 pages. I read it so fast. <laughs> I bet you did. And also, if you yourself don't think you should be on the planet, you should. We love you. You deserve to be here. Don't, don't, don't do that. Trust no, me. don't do that. It does. I know everyone, this is so cliche. It does get better. Um, I have considered suicide. Full disclosure. Uh, I considered it for four or five years. And I'm, I used to think, holy shit, nothing could get worse than this or be worse than this. And then here I am today on a true crime pie, podcast with my pie bestie path. and pet path with my bestie. I promise I'm not drunk. This, unless there's something in the Chick-fil-A lemonade, which I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. But um, like, trust me, it's, it's worth it. It does actually get better. Take it from somebody who's gone through suicide or suicide suicidal thoughts and and depression and it does and also please call somebody dm us we'll give you the number the the hotline like any anybody anybody please reach out trust me trust me people love you Mm -hmm. it's not we love you we do we love you pod friend pod friend (laughs) but damn I, I don't, I'm shooketh. I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, well, I'm going to do the star mom, but shit. Bring us up. I, I am. I'm going to bring us up, but I'm going to bring us down first. I Why know do you me? always have to do that? <laughs> because I like roller coasters. I'm going to start picking out your star moms for you. Uh, one less thing for me to do. <laughs> but actually, she's. I will say this. She's still alive. And here's how. I'll explain it. There is an SP in this. Sexual assault, but again, you know from the beginning of the episode. Today we're going to talk about Fabienne Faye, as she likes to be called, Brooks. And if you don't know who Faye Brooks is, because I didn't, um, I found her on Netflix show, um, oh, uh, Killers, Catching Killers, the documentary show. It's like four episodes. How are you doing a star mom from Catching Killers? You ready? She was a sex crimes detective with the King County Sheriff's Office in King County, Washington, around Seattle area. And um, she was known for helping solve the Green River Killer case. Oh. Yeah, girl. She was breaking molds and glass ceilings. And let me tell you how. So I, there was very little information out there about her personal life, which oh, well, makes a lot of sense, which I yeah. uh, totally respect. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, since 1978, Faye has been a member of the First African Methodist Church and even currently serves on the Mary F. Handy Women's Missionary Society, where she volunteers as the emergency feeding with the emergency feeding program. She went to Western Washington University and is a graduate of the FBI National Academy's 180th session with the Pacific Northwest Command College. 
So she didn't come to play today. Um, Faye started off as a young detective in the Seattle area in Kings County. How many times do you call her detective? Detective. Is that what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Oh, good God. I don't know. Detective. Detective. Did I say it right? Yes. I think you slipped some of my tequila. I swear to God, nothing is in this. <laughs> Let me give it another time. Mm. Tequila and lemonade. I wonder if that's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be delicious. Um, she was a young detective when, in 1982, the Green River Killer started his spree in Seattle, which, I don't know if you guys know about it, it's uh, bad. It was a brutal time to be living in that area and working as a cop. They would find bodies literally every day along the river, sometimes multiple bodies at a time. And at that time, before she joined the, the task force for the Green River Killer, she was working in the sex crimes division because of personal reasons, SP. And quote, I'm a survivor of sex abuse. When I became a sex crimes detective, it was sort of like therapy because I was able to arrest people who were misusing, abusing people. So that drove me to want to catch the killer. I was like, damn. She's straight up facing her trauma mm -hmm. every day. That's hard. Very difficult. So it just shows you the depth. As soon as I saw her say that on the documentary, I was like, what is her name? And I instantly went to Google. I was like, I gotta, I gotta find out about you, Miss Ma'am. So as with any time a killer is prolific in the area, the public gets pissed. I mean, this guy was turning out 20 bodies in a month, okay? Like, that's intense, you know what I mean? And of course they're like, do something about it. So they started to protest. Um, they were mad because they hadn't caught the guy yet after years of women dying. Um, and because some of the women were sex workers, the public thought as rightfully so that the police weren't taking it seriously thinking oh they're just what they used to call prostitutes like who cares but actually they were taking it very fucking seriously well this is the first time one of the first times i've seen where every cop her um her boss everybody around them took it extremely seriously and they were like i don't care who got murdered one death is too many yeah right so Faye treated all the victims with care and concern for their deaths. She said, um, that hurt the detectives because we were committed to solving this investigation. So for once, like the protest in this case was actually kind of unwarranted for once, you know. Um, in 1984, the cops were desperate with few leads and before DNA, even though they saved all the DNA they possibly could, they aired a PSA called Someone Out There Knows Something, and this worked. A woman came forward with clues about Kenworth trucking and another cop realized that a sex worker mentioned a guy she ran into also at this trucking place. So two leads. Eventually, Faye and the other cops on the force got their hands on the DNA testing and in 2001, they matched his DNA to the fucker Gary Ridgeway and they put him away for multiple life sentences. So that was like her intro into basically her whole career. She stayed with the police and helped develop statewide policies for unbiased policing and officer-involved domestic violence and started a group to reduce the meth use in the area. She was an Atlantic Fellow in Public Policy in 96, assigned to the Office of Public Management in London, and provided training to law enforcement in the community for policing for safer communities and policing through partnerships and, dif and from difference to diversity. In 2004, she started being a consultant with the National Coalition Building Institute, 
which is a nonprofit leadership development network to help train cops and employees. Her work has been dedicated to gaining racial equality both in and outside the police department and making sure cops are trained to not necessarily fear the public, but work with the public right? as they should. She eventually worked her way up to the Chief of Criminal Investigations Division for the King County Sheriff's Office that led and held that position for 26 years. Wow. Yeah. From 2012 to 13, she was a policy advisor for the Seattle mayor and helped facilitate discussions about public safety. And she remains a consultant for, for the Center for Children and Youth Justice Models for Change Project, where she develops curriculum for police officers and youth on the Philadelphia Disproportionate Minority Contact Project Youth and Law Enforcement Curriculum. Like, I, it's literally, like, so much stuff. Like, I don't know how she finds the time. Literally. Like, so she's on King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, First AME Church, Domestic Abuse Women's Network, Part Lake uh, White Center Boys and Girls Club. She was a past president of the Black Law Enforcement Association. She's part of the NAACP, a lifetime member of Noble. She uh, was a past secretary for the FBI um, and a Washington chapter. I mean, like, incredible. Yes. Incredible career. And the fact that she's a black woman doing this and like starting off in 1982, first of all, women were not respected as detectives, let alone a black woman. Yeah, she's killing it. Um, she is married to a retired Seattle fire department captain and they have four kids, 10 grandchildren and three great grandchildren. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I, I really admired her because, and I really wish there was more information out there about her. I literally had to get everything like off the NAACP website and the actfornow.us website because again, very private. I get yeah. that. But I'm really also kind of want to keep up with her. Right. Just to see what she does next. Because I'm she like, have social like media we can follow? Um, I just found her LinkedIn. <laughs> so, yes. I mean. <laughs> kind of, but not the same. So, maybe yeah. you can find her on Twitter. But that is a really short synopsis of an incredible person, Faye Brooks. Like, I want to tell the pod daughter about her. So, because you know the pod daughter wants to be in the FBI. Oh, now it's the FBI. I, no, I told you that. No, because I remember... She I didn't, wants to be a forensic psychologist in the FBI. Oh, you did tell me that. I just forgot. You're right. Damn. Mm -hmm. That's freaking incredible. You should absolutely tell her about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, she might be someone that speaks sometime at one of her classes. You just never know. Well, you know, I told her, I was like, if my favorite forensic psychologist comes up in one of your classes, Park Deet, I want you to stand up. <laughs> In class and go, that dude is bullshit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I literally saw Park Deet's photo the other day on something. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad Amanda's not here. She's going to lose her fucking mind. <laughs> like she saw this. I was like, I want you to stand up in class and go, Park Deet's is bullshit. <laughs> That's great. She was like, I'm not going to do that. But if he comes up, I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, that's a criminal, like, profiler for the FBI. No. She wants to be Mindhunter. No, she wants to actually talk to the... Right. Yeah, where you, like, go in, you talk to them, you write up, like, a like a synopsis of the person. Mm -hmm. <sighs> like, she would be one that would have gone to, like, Dean Coral and been like, let's talk. What's going on? Well, if you were alive, of course, he got shot. But, you know, his so dude... 
You want to hear something crazy that she never knew? I never told her this until after she was like accepted, had a major. She was probably registered for her classes and everything. I went on a campus visit to the same school that she's going to now. And I was going to go to that school and I was going to major in criminal psychology. Holy shit. It's full circle. I just never did it because I just decided not to go. That's And then I met my husband. And then here we are. Yes. Holy crap. Well, yeah, she's absolutely going to have to tell us everything. I told her. Everything. I, go, I go, did I ever tell you? And she's like, no. What are the odds? That's so weird. It's almost like subconsciously it just, ha- you know, like happened and went in her head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things happen for a reason. That's true. Um, exactly. Like this episode. Happy 30th birthday. Yay. Yeah. Dirty 30. Dirty 30, whoop, baby. Whoop. I think that episode was sufficiently dirty. Don't you? Yeah. A lot of dirt in there. You knew only how (laughs) dirty it was. Uh, I'm glad you didn't go into, yeah. I'm going to tell you once you hit that stop button what I can't tell you now because you're going to be as dirty as I am. (laughs) I'm not, you know, you can't just have that in your head. You have to download it online too. Yes. I got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, thank y'all always for listening. We very much appreciate it. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.